Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Have you ever heard the phrase, take a long, hard look in the mirror? Any husband in this room probably has heard that phrase. A time or two from his loving wife. Probably, all right, probably. Uh, guys, just look straight ahead. Don't nod, don't do anything. Don't give yourself away. Your relationship is perfect, right? Or maybe you had a coworker or a relative or a friend say, hey, you just need to take a good, long, hard look in the mirror. What are they actually saying when they're saying that? They're saying this problem, this issue, this argument, this fight, this frustration, it ain't my fault. It ain't me. And it ain't we. It's a you problem. So take a good, long, hard look in the mirror. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, I know what you're going to do. Uh, you're going you're gonna to kind of use the Michael Jackson, uh, you know, the man in the mirror. No, I don't like to bring up pedophiles in church. Oh, there we go. I did it. Oh, man. We off to the races today. Whew. Is it hot? You come back for a second round of last week? <laughs> you showed up. It's your fault. James chapter number one. Here's what the word of God says. Looking at it. Verse number 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Can we just park it there for a moment? We live in the day and age where it just seems like we have to always be talking. Every post that somebody posts, we feel like we've got to say something about it. We see somebody doing something, we just feel like we need to say it. We need to voice it. I love that scripture. Slow to speak, slow to wrath, but it does say swift to hear. Verse 20 says, for the man, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 21, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If any among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. In this passage, it brings up a mirror. Mirrors are something that I think every day you and I probably spend some time looking into a mirror. It might be the first thing you do in the morning as you're brushing your teeth, wiping the sleep out of your eyes as you're shaving, or as you're putting on your mascara, your makeup, you're looking in a mirror. You know, where you look will determine what you look like. Where you look will determine what you look like. Have you ever been in a rush and you really didn't get time to look in the mirror? So as you walk into the office, you're looking for a window that has some sort of a reflection. You're looking at a doorknob just trying to check things out. You're looking at your rear view mirror and you're, you're missing that the light is green and people are honking at you because you're trying 
to figure out what do I look like this morning? And where you look will determine what you look like. Because this morning, the message is in the mirror. The message is in the mirror. You say, what do you mean the message is in the mirror? You see, in this passage, there's two different types of people. Did you catch it? There's the person that looks in the mirror and forgets what he saw. There's a second type of person that looks in the mirror and he takes a minute and he takes inventory and he does something about what they see. Now, some of you have all kinds of natural, just good looks, so you don't probably have to spend a whole lot of time in front of the mirror. But for the rest of us, oh man, we need to spend extra time, right? It's that extra time making sure, okay, is everything all right, you know? And making sure everything looks good. We want to we make sure we're presentable. We want to make sure everything looks good. The question is, what type of person are you? Are you the type of person that looks in this mirror? Now, this mirror is not a mirror that you have in your bathroom. It's not the mirror that you may have in your living room, on your, in your car, the one you might have in your purse. This is a different type of mirror. This mirror has a message. This mirror has a message for us. Now, the question is, will we look at this mirror and receive this message? Will we look hard enough at it and allow this message to really get into our hearts and do its transformative work? You see, the mirror in this passage is the Word of God. Isn't it amazing that there's so many metaphors for the Word of God, but in this passage, the writer James picks the metaphor of a mirror because it's something that he says, hey, this, this book is alive. You see, a mirror, when you look at it, doesn't look back. But when you look at this book, it looks back. And it points things out, and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and begins to transform you. But this morning, I need to tell you, where you look will determine what you look like. Where you look will determine what you look like. And so there are different types of people. They approach the word of God, first of all, and they are ignorant to what the Bible says. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I had a college president, and he would always say, ignorance isn't bliss. To which I am often reminded at home. Oh, I forgot. I, I didn't mean to do that. I forgot. I left that. Ignorance isn't bliss. It doesn't work out. And sometimes we can take an ignorant, oh, I didn't, I didn't know. Well, whose responsibility we have access to the word of God. We can't claim ignorance. So we see that there's the ignorant person that deceives themselves. The word deceive means to defraud. Later on, we'll come back to that, the word defraud. Defrauding simply means this, that you are missing out on blessing. You are missing out on revenue. You are missing out on something. That's what defraud. We hear it all the time nowadays. Oh, that boss defrauded his employees. Oh, that company defrauded everybody of their um, retirement. But in this passage, saying you can defraud yourself. How terrible is that, that you would defraud yourself? That's what the deceiving person does. They're only hurting themselves because where I look will determine what I look like. There are good mirrors and there are bad mirrors this morning. And if God has a mirror for you, you can mark it down. Satan's going to have a counterfeit for you. And so this morning, there's the ignorant person, and they're ignorant to what the Bible says. There's also not the ignorant person, there's the indifferent person. For if any is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. This is somebody who's just indifferent to it. I once fell off a horse, and I broke my left arm, and the... The person at the camp I was working at when I broke my arm, they said, all right, let's go to the local clinic. 
and we're going to get some x-rays done. So we go over, and then we do some x-rays on my arm, and then they pull out these little things, and they hold it up to uh, a a lighted panel. And it's this little translucent sheet, and you can't see it that well until you put it up, and you let the light hit the back of it. And then when the light hit the back of it, you know, there's two bones in the lower forearm. One of them wasn't connected. That was a problem. Imagine me... If I would have looked at the doctor and I say, I don't really trust your examination. I don't really trust what that little piece of paper, that little picture showing me. I don't really care. My arm is fine. I'm going to go ride a horse right now with this broken arm. I do not care. Don't give me a cast. I'm indifferent to what I just saw. Some of us approach God's word and God's word will tell us what is right, how to keep it right and how to stay right. And we're indifferent to it. God's word will teach you and I about finances. It'll teach us about family. It'll teach us about marriage. It'll teach us about government. It'll teach us about life. This word will teach you about everything you need to know. But too often we approach as a man that's indifferent to it. Like, oh, uh, the doctor came in and showed me the x-ray, showed me what's wrong, but I'm indifferent to it. That's not ignorance. Indifference is another thing entirely. Indifference is the sin of simply saying, I'm going to be willfully ignorant. This is the sin of iniquity. What is iniquity? That's a prideful arrogance that you're doing the wrong thing. That's a totally different thing than indifferent, than, than ignorance. This is, you know the truth, you just don't care. And if there's ever a time where the church has fallen into that age, it is the age of indifference. You look at it everywhere in our city. Somebody knocked on the door. They said, vote for this candidate. I said, why should I vote for your candidate? What has your candidate done for this neighborhood? Crime's on the rise, filth is on the rise, distrust is on the rise. Well, if you vote for her, get her in office, she'll fix it. How long has she been in office? Eight years? No. She's had eight years to fix it. Why would I give them another? But yet so many people, they're indifferent to it. So many Christians, we're indifferent. I just finished Lamentations. Lamentations chapter number three, it says, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by, who see the city that lies in waste? Speaking of Jerusalem. It was a prophet, Jeremiah, whose heart was broken. He says, my eye has affected my heart as I see the sorrow and pain of my people. Is it nothing to you all that pass by? We live in a culture and a society where the church has become indifferent to what we see around us. And we no longer can suffer the indifference. Because it says, if you're just a hearer and not a doer, your religion is useless. To which some of you say, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. James is trying to redeem the word religion because it's not a bad word. But our modern Christians have taken the word religion and said, oh, that's got to be something bad. He's using the words, perfectly good word. What happens with a relationship is we think, oh, it's a relationship. It's a 50-50. What kind of relationship is it where God says, yes, crucify yourself, die daily? That's not a relationship. It's a lordship. So you can go on about the relationship, but he's saying, hey, this religion that you claim to, be, to have, you can't be indifferent about it. You've got to do something. Otherwise, it's useless. How many people around you that do not know Christianity would look at Christians and say, I think you guys are kind of useless. I don't know what you do exactly. Like you sing songs, you're writing more worship songs, but what is it you guys do beyond worship songs right now? Because that today is the that's what the modern church is really known for. Some of the most biggest labels are actually Christian bands. 
that the world has never heard of, but they're raking in money because the church is no longer about evangelism. It's no longer about missionaries. It's no longer, it's about, oh, we got to have this latest worship track. I'm all for worship, but we've missed it. We're indifferent. But then there's this other person. They're intent on obeying the Bible. Verse 25, but he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and it's not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. You see, you need to understand the value and priority of this book, this word. As a matter of fact, the psalm says, I will worship towards your holy hill. And he says, I, and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above your name. God says, this word, I've magnified it. I've made it bigger than my own name. That's how important this book is. It's how valuable it is. So this morning, can we take a good, hard look in the mirror? Can we do that this morning? Can we pull out the Bible and say, okay, I'm going to take a good, hard look at it. I'm not going to be indifferent to this. I'm not going to be one that just simply hears it and then goes about my way. Because there's a message in this mirror. Are you ready to receive the message that's in the mirror? Every day you look in this book, it's got a message for you. There's a message in this mirror. It's not one where you just come and look at it and say, ah, uh-huh, everything's good. It's like the old show, The Fonz, where he looked at the mirror about to come and he's like, how many Christians do that? You just dated yourself if you were like, yeah, I remember that. You see, there are also mirrors that will mislead you. That's what he's saying. For if anyone be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, he uses a word there, it's perfect. I would underline it, I would highlight it, I would circle it. You say, why? If there is perfection, there is something that is not perfect. So he makes a distinguishing characteristic about this mirror. He says, this is a perfect one. What leads us to believe that, guess what? There are other mirrors out there. You ever been to a, a, a cheap carnival that they might have at a, at a school or at the mall or just some random field? And they got a little house of mirrors and you pay way too much to go through this little house of mirrors. And you walk in and you probably pay $10 per person to walk through this house of mirrors. And you walk in the first mirror, it's all squiggly. And you kind of look at yourself and you kind of laugh. You walk into another mirror, you're a lot taller and thinner then you look at another mirror, and you're a lot broader. Then you look at another mirror, you're a lot shorter. There are mirrors that will mislead you. There are mirrors that will mislead you. It's like this. We look at God's word, and imagine yourself this morning surrounded by mirrors. And then the mirror shows you something you don't like. And instead of dealing with it, you just turn that mirror. I don't want to deal with my anger. I'll just turn that so that mirror doesn't reflect back to me my anger. I don't want to deal with my pride. Let me just turn that mirror. I don't want pride staring back at me. Oh, I don't want this, so I'll just flip that mirror, and I'll flip this mirror, and I'll flip this, and I'll flip that. Oh, man, I don't want to go to a church that holds up a mirror to my life. That's not where I want, because there are mirrors that will mislead you. So you and I need to look into the perfect law of liberty. Now, you say, how can there be law and liberty at the same time? They work perfectly. You and I get to go down the 101 freeway, and you and I get to cruise at 65 to 75 miles per hour. Nobody will stop you. Nobody will pull you over. Nobody will mess with you. But if you decide to go 80 miles per hour, and you decide to go blazing down the 101, no longer is that a perfect law of liberty. You no longer have liberty to be on that street. 
You see, this is a perfect law of liberty. You have freedom in this book. You're not enslaved to it. You're not bound by it. It's a perfect law of liberty. When you follow it and when you lead it, there's liberty there. You see, there are mirrors that will mislead you. Not all mirrors are equal. And where you look will determine what you look like. So where are the mirrors if not God and his word? You see, culture's going to hold up some mirrors. They hold up the mirror of social media and says, this is what your body should look like. There'll be people, friends, that'll hold up the mirror and say, this is what you should have in the bank account. This is what you should drive. This is what you should wear. This is how you should talk. This is how you should vote. This is how you should think. There's all kinds of mirrors that are influencing you. But is it the right one? Because there are mirrors that will mislead you. So we as a church have to be looking into the perfect law of liberty and saying, God, I need to see it. But if you are not willing to face the mirror of God's word, then God will never help you to fix what you see. And too often, we never want to face it. And if you won't face it, you can't fix it. And how many of us in the church are just simply saying, I'm indifferent to it. I don't want to work on it. I don't want to fix it. I don't want to do anything about it. And this morning, may God help us this morning and say, let's face ourselves in the mirror. And let's say, all right, God, help me. Now, there's a huge distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the psalmist said, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me. He said, God, you do the work. But that's not what happens in the New Testament. What happens in the New Testament? It says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. It's not God searching you anymore. It's you searching you because you're on the victory side of Calvary. So you need to take that power and say, hey, I can discern for myself. I don't need to go to the priest every time. I don't need to go to the pastor every time. I can get my Bible and say, okay, God, God, this is the measuring stick for my life. How do I measure up? And so many times we are waiting till Sunday for something to be revealed when God wants to work on you every single day and he wants to be teaching you. He wants you to be looking into the perfect law of liberty. We're on the victory side of Calvary. Let's examine ourselves. Let's be a church that says, you know what? No, no, I don't need to wait till Sunday. I do my own examination. I make sure that I'm right before God. You see, a mirror reflects back an image. And too often we're guilty of just glancing at this mirror. Just a quick glance. Some of you maybe have had a busy morning. You were getting the kids ready, got to get to church, and got to go. And so you just glance in the mirror. And then you get here and you're like, my socks are not the same color. This top does not match these pants. What was I thinking? Sometimes I would get dressed in the dark and I would think I'm wearing blue pants with a blue jacket. And then you get to your location, you find out you're wearing black pants with a blue jacket. And you're thinking, this does not work. This isn't working. And so this morning, we can't just glance at this mirror. You ever forgotten something right after you just heard it or saw it? I have a bad habit. I'll be talking to somebody that I'm just meeting in a conversation, and I'll have to ask their name several times because I don't want to forget their name. So I'll ask them over and over because I don't want to be the person that right after I just met them say, hey, I know I just met you, and you gave me your name. Can you give it to me a second time? Because that's just glancing at it. And they don't feel like, did this guy even listen to me? I said my name. And here, too often, we're guilty of just glancing at it. Last week, some of you were very encouraging about the message last week. I said, man, Pastor, preach more like that. I really like that. I really appreciated that. Question, do you even remember what I said? Oh, yeah, that would, make, that would scare you, wouldn't it? 
oh, I really like that. What did you like? We're guilty of all husbands. The wife says, hey, how does this look on me? It looks great. You didn't even look. God, your word's so good. I loved every bit of it. God's like, what'd you get out of it? You can't remember seven days later because you're chasing the feeling. And you will look for the next church, the next preacher, the next place that'll give you your feeling. Are you kidding me? That's all you want is a little feeling? I'm not about feelings. I'm about us taking action and changing something. Let's get beyond the feelings. Feelings is entry level. That's junior high. That's baby Christian. If that's where you got to start, that's where you got to start. But some of you have been saved longer than I've been alive. You need to get beyond that. Amen? Amen. It's time we say, God, this word, I can't just glance at it. And some of us are just glancing at God's word. Some of us, we just wait till Sunday and we just kind of take a glance. That's not enough. God's word is not meant to be glanced at. It's a mirror that I just absorb and look deep into it. So stop stealing a glance at God's word. You see, the problem is information plus application equals transformation. Information plus application equals transformation. But some of us think glancing is enough. And my friend, This is the tragedy of the modern church because we just glance at God's word and we think we're going to be fine with just a glance. I'm going to tell you a story that's very meaningful and purposeful. I got a book here. I'm going to put down the mic. Sorry, sound team and podcast. box of books. The Maxwell Leadership Bible. It's a Bible. There's another Bible. I don't know what version. There's another Bible. There's an archaeological study Bible. There's another Bible. There's a Bible. It's a nice one. Oh, I like that one. Lots of dust. That's a really nice Bible. NKGV. That's my preferred Bible. All right. Thompson Chain Reference Bible. That's a good one. The Holman Christian Study Bible. That's a good one. Christian Standard Bible, that's a good one. That's another good Bible right there. Let's see what else we got here. Oh, that's a Schofield. I like Schofield. Those are good Bibles. Let's see what's this. Also, wide margin, more room for taking notes. That's a good one. All right, let's see another King James. The these and the thous. Thou shalt not. Another Thompson chain. That's right. Let's see, what's this? Uh, looks like another New King James. Uh, King James. I don't see a message translation in here. There's another Bible right there. And uh, there's another Bible. All right, let's see, that's another Bible. Uh, it's a brand new Bible in the box. That's never been used. That's another brand new Bible in the box, never been used. And uh, that's another. Let's go for a brand new Bible. There's 25 Bibles. 
Those are just the ones I could find. All those belong to one person. And that's just one box of his Bibles. That's a lot of biblical knowledge right there. Every translation you could possibly want. Every way to parse it, dissect it. I didn't bring the Filipino Bible. I didn't bring the Spanish Bible. My kids call it the Santa Claus Bible. I didn't bring all of them. That's just 25. He said, whose Bibles are those, Pastor? They're mine now. A year ago, they weren't mine. A year ago, those were all the Bibles in the library of a pastor who is my brother. A year ago, there was a church in the Central Valley that was vibrant. Hundreds of people gathered on a Sunday. To hear a man stand up and grab one of these Bibles, preach the word with passion. All the while, he had a little secret that nobody knew about. All the while, he was harboring something. Oh, it hadn't been going on for months. Not years. From what we know, seven years. What we know. Because a year ago, when the news hit me, I was devastated. These are my oldest brother's Bibles. I went to a small Bible college, and he would preach, and every time he preached, he would win the preacher's competition. Four times his name appeared on that trophy cup. Traveled all over this country. Could out-preach anybody I ever knew. And that's not hyperbole. Ask Eloise. She knows him. All these Bibles, all this knowledge. There's an ordination Bible in here. There's a graduation Bible here. There's a Bible he got for his wedding here. There's a Bible he got when he got to his ministry. There's the first Bible he got when he was called to preach in here. All of that knowledge. All right here. Only one problem. He was glancing at it. Not gazing at it. And now next month I will drive over to some dying church that's struggling with no pastor. The sheep are scattered, not sure what to do. I picked up thousands of his books. A church with millions in the bank, a building, people. But the pastor thought it was enough to just glance at the word. He thought it was enough to just, hey, I, I have all this knowledge. I have all this knowledge, pastor. You sit here with all that knowledge. You grew up in church. Some of you went to Bible classes, life groups, studies. You name it. You know all that stuff. You got all that knowledge. But without application, there is no transformation in your life. And we are filled with a generation of Christians who are glancing at God's word and not gazing at it and allowing that book to transform their life. And I could go around this room and say, what did I preach last week? What did I preach the week before? What did I preach the week before that? Some of you are so kind. Oh, pastor, you're my favorite preacher. 
Tell me what you've actually learned from me. Because you could tell if a pastor or a preacher is good or not by the people their preaching produces. And if you don't know the word of God, it's on me. And if you don't live the word of God, it's on me. And if you're not putting it into practice, it's on me. So I've got to preach to you and say, don't be people that just glance at the word and you've got a bookshelf filled with Bibles on it that you don't actually gaze at. As a matter of fact, there's a difference between glancing at the word and gazing at the word, but there's another one. You say, what's the other one? For some of us, we glare at the word. You say, what do you mean glare? I don't like that the Bible says that. Husband of one wife, I don't know about that. I don't think that should be in there. Thou shalt not kill. I don't know if that should be in there. Thou shalt not lust. I don't know if that should be in there. You shouldn't even say raka, which is to say, I hate my brother, because that's the same as like murdering them in your mind. We shouldn't do, I don't know if that should be in there. We glare at this book more than we would be honest on a Sunday morning. There are things about this book that we say, I don't know. After all, isn't it written by 66 different men? Listen to me, family. The Bible says this word is inspired. God inspired. God used men to write this book. Inspired means that they were being led by the Holy Spirit's hand to pen these books. It's not their ideas. It's not their ideas to put women down, to put anything down. That's not that what's in this book. We've allowed humanism to creep into our churches and to pervert what these books are all about. And if we would do more than just glance at it, and simply do more than glare at it, we would see that when we gaze upon it, something begins to happen. The Bible says that when Moses, he wanted to one request from God, his one request was, God, I want to see you. And God said, if you saw me, it would kill you. So God says, here's what you can do. You can see as I pass by, my glory is going to pass by and you could see it. And he said he saw it and his face began to shine. They had to put a veil over it. The New Testament writer Paul says we are changed from glory to glory. That same glory is working and transforming you and I to this day when we get in this book. But today we live in a day and age where we won't even go to a church that actually opens it. We want to hear cute stories, little anecdotes, and we don't want to see what the Bible says. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're on the victory side of Calvary. We don't live in defeat. You are naming it and claiming it and never attaining it. Why? Because you're only glancing at this book. It gives a stark contrast to the person that actually gazes at it. It says the person that gazes at it and does it, this person will be blessed. Why are you not blessed? Because we are not gazing at this book. We're not looking into it and saying, God, allow this book to transform me. We're glaring at it. We're not looking deep at it. I used to sell suits at JCPenney's. And when I'd sell suits, they would get the suit and the pants weren't hemmed. The sleeves were too long. The inseam wasn't fitting. The waist wasn't right. So they'd walk back into this little showroom that I had. And they would step up onto a platform. 
and there was a three-panel mirror which almost gave them a 360-degree view of themselves. And then I'd take a little piece of chalk and I'd mark where their sleeve should be on their wrist. I'd mark where their pants should come down to their shoes, where the inseam should be, where their waist should be. And then they would come back a week later and they would put it on. And I never had anybody put on that brand new suit, custom tailored to their body, put it on, look in the mirror, not like what they saw, and punch my mirrors. Not one time. And I sold a lot of suits at JCPenney's. You see, just because you don't like what you see in the mirror, doesn't mean you break the mirror. All that you're doing is reinforcing what you don't like. Because if you're not going to face it, it'll be there. And church, if we're not going to face what God wants to show us in the mirror this week, it's going to be there next week and the week after. But yet we are caught in this trap that we don't understand. The mirror is only reflecting what we are projecting. And if you don't like what it's reflecting, maybe project something else. And start gazing. The word look means to lean over, to peer within. You get what it means to look. You ever taken your kids to the zoo? You say, we're not supposed to go to the zoo. It's animal cruelty. Yeah, and you're probably the same person that walks your cat with a leash. All right? That's weird. In my neighborhood, people be putting their cats on leashes. And I just, I don't know. I don't think I'm fit for this time anymore. I think I'm just an old soul. That's just weird. Your cat is on a leash. I'm sorry. I'm going to let my husky eat your cat just because we need to put it out of its misery. We're doing the world a favor. But whenever you go to the zoo and your kids get up on the railing and they want to see the animal better, they want to look in the pond better, they lean over so they can look. What's your posture when you open this book? Is it like a little child leaning up? I just want to see it better. I want a better look. Kids will do whatever they have to. They will get up on something so they can lean and they want to see the picture. And God is saying that's the same word to the person who gazes in it. It's that look of I want to see more in your word. We sing about it. We worship about it. But I'm afraid we don't do anything about it. Every week I hand you two things. I hand you a pen and a little piece of paper. And I know what some of you say. Well, pastor, you talk too fast to take notes on. Okay, listen to the podcast and take notes later. Do what you got to do, but get this thing in your life. There's some things I'm working on. And I have a quote I write every day in my to-do list. To value people, add value to people. Every day I want to add value to people. By a kind word, some advice, some help. I want to add value to them. So every day I make a note to say, look for people to add value to. Because I want to get better at adding value to people. So it's on my list. What is on your list? You say, hey God, this is what you gave me on Sunday. I get it. I give you a lot on Sunday. My notes are 9 to 10 pages every single week. And I never have enough time to get through it. Because there's so much I just want to give to you. And some of you say, Pastor, that was the best message you ever preached last week. No, that was the best you ever listened. You had your coffee, you were well rested, and you weren't sleeping on me. Why do we always think it's up to the pastor to get something out of it? 
grew up in the church. I've heard my share of bad messages. I've preached my share of bad messages. But God in his power can take the Bible and open and speak truths and wonders to you. This book is alive, my friend. This book has the power to come alive to you like no other book can. It has the power to transform you. The problem is we bought into believing what John Mayer sang about. We're waiting on the world to change. Waiting on the world to change. I'm not waiting on the world to change. I just come to God and say, okay, what do you want to change about me? What do you want to do in my heart? I'm going to own it. This is a me problem. It's not my kids. It's not my wife. It's not my church family. It's not the president. It's not my government. It's not my governor. It's not my city. It's a me problem. The secret to happiness is progress. And guess what? I can always be making progress in my life. And some of us don't understand that as we gaze into the word, God does something. Thirdly and finally, a mirror is for measurement. You say, what? A mirror is not for measurement. Yeah, let me show you. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues it, and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one would be blessed in what he does. But what does this person, this blessed person do exactly? What is it that he does? He goes on to elaborate in verse 26, if any among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, You have speech that you know is not kind, considerate, or clean. I'm amazed at how we talk as Christians nowadays. The vulgarity, profanity. You say, I don't, I don't know where the Bible says thou shalt not be vulgar and profane. You're right. It does not less list, make a list of every four-letter word. It does not. It does say every word will be required of you at the day of judgment. What's that mean? Every word is being written down. All of it. I'm accountable for everything I've said. All the gossip, all the lies, all the slander, all the profanity, all the vulgarity, all that stuff. Here, Scripture saying, hey, you Christians, it's not talking to the culture. It's not talking to people who aren't, aren't saved. He's talking to Christians. He said, hey, get a hold of your tongue. Many a marriage will be changed if we got a hold of our tongue. The things we say. Many a church will be transformed if we got a hold of the way we talk to one another when that person's not present. Oh, we know how we talk when that person's present. It's when they're not present. It's when that person is not around. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, a lying tongue. First out the gate in Proverbs, the things God hates has to do with our tongue. What we say, oh, I hate that person. Really? Hate? A Christian saying, I hate that person? I'll tell you this, you will never win that person if you hate that person. Our job is to tell them about Jesus Christ. I'll take it a step farther. If I'm critical of somebody, there's no way I'm going to be able to win that person. Just me being critical of them 
How often can we just go off because we just feel like in our culture today, we just feel like we can just say whatever trash we want to say about people. We don't even know. As if they did something to us. Scripture's convicting. He goes on, if any among you thinks he is religion, doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. A mirror is a measuring standard, the standard that we measure everything by. That's the mirror that we look to. That's the standard. There's a standard we've got to measure. And God says, this is the standard. Aren't you glad God used a mirror and not a magnifying glass, though? Doesn't hold up that magnifying glass to all of our imperfections and all of our faults. God says, here's the mirror. There's so much more to say. Let's stand. Heads bowed, nice closed. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.